Hello friend, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is for us to work together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's great to have you back here again with me today, whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here all along. The Bible Project is a plan to work through the entire Bible and to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And I'm sure if you've been along with us for a while, you're already appreciating that and the transformation it can make in your life. But if you've not been here before, can I recommend that you click on the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcast from and see your life transformed by what we're doing together. So with that said, do hang on at the end and I'll tell you lots of ways you can connect to this ministry and other free Bible teaching resources and discipleship courses I make available. But with that said, we'll just pick up in the text of where we left off last time in our study through Season 3 in the book of Matthew. Bye-bye for now. Okay, today we're together going to look at Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And I've called today's talk, How to Profit from Your Gifts and Talents. Now, sometimes getting what you want in life can be detrimental to your overall well-being. I'm sure most of us would rather sit in a comfy chair all day than do hard physical manual labour for a job. But if sitting in that chair became our lifestyle, well, according to medical experts, that would, of course, be detrimental to our health. Well, a similar thing can be said of our spiritual life. If we were just to sit in an overstuffed spiritual chair, so to speak, then we wouldn't spiritually grow, certainly not in the way the Lord intended for us to do, and that would, of course, have detrimental consequences to our spiritual life, what we live, but also, frankly, rather chilling to understand, is it does and will affect the life beyond. Now, Jesus, he taught parable about such things, and it is that story that I want to look at today. In my Bible, it's called the Parable of the Talents. So I'm going to begin reading for you in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, which says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And he immediately went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who had received two talents, he put it to work and gained two more also. But the one who received one talent went out and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Well, after a long time, the Lord of these servants came back and met with them to settle accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came forward and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I too will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
But then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have back what is yours. But his Lord answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would at least receive back my own with interest. So he took the talent from him, and he gave it to him who now had ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And they cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the story. So what is the Lord telling us here? Well, the basic narrative of the story begins with telling us that an obviously wealthy man calls in three of his servants and he gives them some money and some responsibility. So I want to begin by looking at what he actually gave them. Now, talent in English sounds like uh, he's handing out some sort of natural abilities, like musical ability, for example. But that's just a useful coincidence for us who are studying the Bible in the English translation. That's not primarily what the passage is talking about, even though it means that. It's talking about money. The Greek word that's translated talent here refers to a denomination of money. Now, actually, it was a very, very large amount of money. Each talent was equivalent of an ordinary labourer's wage for around about 20 years. So this is a large sum of money growing up to an astronomically large sum of money for some of these guys. So why does he do this? Why is he giving them his financial resources, so to speak, his money? Was he doing it so that they could go out and enjoy life and put their feet up and enjoy the rest of their life? Well, clearly the answer is no. He's giving it to them to use it and that becomes more and more apparent when we look at the rest of the message and what happens when he returns. But we can see, for example, in verse 18 that the man with one talent is said to have hidden his money from the Lord. So the fact that it says it was the Lord's money, not the man's money, that is suggesting that this money has been lent in order to be used. But the real clincher comes in the following verse where it says, after a long time, the master called to their houses to settle accounts with them. So very clearly, it's apparent from the story that this is a wealthy man who's giving large sums of money to three servants and he wants them to utilize it, to invest that money. And he's going to come back one day and see what they've done with it and how much they've earned. Now, obviously this is teaching a spiritual truth here. And this man is very clearly meant to represent the Lord and the sense that he's going to leave and he's coming back. But in the meantime, he's given us, if you like, resources that he wants us to utilize, to invest. And he wants to see a return on that which he had invested in us and gifted in us. It's not too much to say that this might refer to something like spiritual gifts in that each of us has been given various spiritual gifts, maybe more than one maybe just one, for which, though, we are meant to use and utilize and serve the Lord with. So on a spiritual level, it's actually talking about opportunities, opportunities that come our way because of the talents and giftings that we have. But clearly, the Lord has given to some more than he's given to others when it comes 
to abilities and talents. Resources, abilities, opportunities and responsibilities to serve him. That's what's happening here and he wants to see fruit from all of those things which he has given us. Now I think the temptation is always to say, well I'm just a guy with one talent. You know, I've got you know no talent or just one basic talent. I could never be like one of these guys that has ten talents. And let's just assume that's true, which it may be for some of us. Well, that's neither here nor there as far as the story is concerned. This has nothing to do with the amount. It's what you do with what you're given. Even if you've just got one talent, you're still valuable in the Lord's economy because there is no such thing as a little talent and a big talent in the sense of the term when they come to serving the Lord. Years ago, there was a Bible teacher named Dr. Mike DeHaan. He started as a medical doctor, I believe, but he became a terrific Bible teacher. And back in the very early 90s, I attended a church which had hundreds of his tapes in a tape library. And I used to spend hours listening to them as I drove around at that time pursuing my career as a financial advisor. Now, I do remember one point I remember listening and hear him speaking at a rather large conference. I think it was in Chicago, and he was speaking mainly to church leaders and pastors. And on one of those tapes, he talked about how the previous day at that conference, one of the delegates came up to meet him because he'd heard him on the radio. And he said he wanted to introduce himself. And he said, hello, he gave his name, can't remember what it was. And he says, I have a small ministry. And then he quoted the town where he came from. And I think, if my memory serves me right, it was in rural Tennessee. But quick as a flash, DeHaan looked at him and said, Young man, no ministry of Jesus Christ is a small ministry. You may think of yourself as having one little talent. Well, that one thing is still extremely valuable in the kingdom of God. Some people may have more talents than you and I, but your talent is still worth an infinite unmeasurable amount in eternity in the economy of God. Someone has said, and I quote, it's amazing to see what good can be accomplished by those who are shortchanged in their natural abilities or limited circumstances. And maybe you feel that describes you. Maybe you feel the reasons you're not more productive spiritually in your life or sowing more into the life of others is because you have little or only a very small talent. Or perhaps that you've got all sorts of other issues to deal with in your life. And that may be indeed true, and some people have huge barriers to overcome. But let me tell you, my friend, that one little talent that you've got is something which, when used for the Lord, can be amazing. John Milton, Paradise Lost, a book, a poem, whose insight into the fall of Satan is contained within his poetic masterpiece. It was written in 1652 and it was written within a few years of him losing his eyesight. Isaac Watts, have you heard of him? Probably only surpassed by Charles Wesley as the greatest hymn writer in the history of the Christian church. Watts suffered from a severe physical deformity and yet although he was weak and at times really ill throughout his life, yet he still wrote over 600 sacred songs and hymns alongside several books of poetry and even influential doctrinal discourses. Now many people live lives and they have good reasons to be discouraged and I don't underestimate that if that's your story but the potential is still there if you diligently employ your gift. Every one of us can accomplish great things for the Lord.
Now the head of the house, the Lord in this parable, he's seen to go off on a long journey and then we're told what these three servants did with their responsibility and the resources that he'd gifted them with. And we don't have to wait long to see how they got on. The one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. He doubled his money, uh, actually, not bad, eh? The second guy, likewise, he had received two and he gained two more. He did the same thing, he put it to work and even though he only had two, he doubled it to four. Not bad again. But then there is this other one guy who received just one talent and he went out and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the Lord's money. The third guy, for whatever reason, just hid the money in the ground. He buried it and at the end, of course, he had the same amount as he started with. He didn't make even 1% profit. He just buried it in the ground. This fella in this story, for whatever reason, got discouraged and decided he couldn't use his one talent, so he buried it in the ground. Now, the meaning of this parable is to remind us that the Lord's going to come back. And when he does, he's going to ask for an accounting for what you did with what he gave you. But it also tells us that after that happens, we see his response to what they have done and we actually see that he actually hands out rewards. So the Lord's response to those who have used their talents wisely is firstly to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. But the thing I want you to notice is he said, you've been faithful over a little thing and I'm going to make you a ruler over a big thing. You see the reward again, just like it was in the last parable, the reward for doing a good job was not retirement, it is promotion. Apparently, there are levels of responsibility in the kingdom. And when the Lord comes back, we are told that some are going to rule over ten cities, to use one of the Lord's other parables, and some are going to rule over five cities. So if you've been faithful with whatever talent God has given you, you will be held high in his administration in the coming kingdom. The issue in this parable is not how much you have got, it's whether you have used what you have faithfully. The clear point, in a sense, has nothing to do with the production, but it's everything to do with the faithfulness and the willingness to trust in him to utilise your gifting to bring about a kingdom outcome. So it's not directly about how much you produce, but whether or not you've been faithful with the abilities he's given you. But what about this guy with one talent? He came to the Lord and he said, I know you're a tough master, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And listen, he said, I was afraid and I went and hid the talent in the ground. I have thought is yours. I didn't lose it. Take it back. And the Lord's response to that is not neutral. He says, you wicked and lazy servant, you ought to have at least deposited the money with the bankers. And then at my coming back, I would have at least received my own back with interest. But the next thing in this verse is often overlooked. Look again at his response when he sees the Lord comes back and he's called to account. In a sense, he says, I have what is yours. I didn't lose it. Take it back. So why was the Lord's response so strong? You wicked and lazy servant. Notice Jesus says he's not only lazy, but he also says you were wicked. I mean, all he did was bury the talent. Is that wicked? But listen carefully. He also said he was afraid of the Lord. So interesting, this is laziness alongside being afraid. Let me ask you a question. Are there any Christians that aren't productive because they're afraid? And I think if we're honest, we'll all know the answer to that is 
probably yes, particularly when it comes to evangelism. I've concluded that there are only two main reasons why Christians don't evangelize. Number one is they don't know how to do it. They don't know the word of God and they've not been discipled and trained how to do it. But that's not the end of it. There is another answer and that is that people are afraid. Perhaps they'd be less afraid if they actually knew the word of God and could defend their faith. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it clearly says that some even then didn't confess Christ and they didn't talk about the Lord because they said they were afraid of the Jews, meaning the Jewish leadership of that day. And again, I think it was because they weren't able to put up a coherent defense of the gospel against those who thought otherwise. Now, I think that's part of the explanation. Some are afraid to serve the Lord, so what they do is they spiritually, in a sense, go out and bury their giftings in the backyard and they try to hand it back without even interest. Now, experts in finance will actually tell you the whole world's economic system and the stock markets are driven by two things greed and fear. They even have come up with a term for it, a bull and a bear market. But having said all that here, the point is God, he's not going to trust you with spiritual matters if you hasn't utilized the spiritual gift, the basic spiritual gifts that he's already given you. So why didn't this guy produce? Was it because he was afraid? Was it because just because he was afraid? No, it was because he also did not believe what God told him and promised him. So the bottom line is he didn't know or trust God's character. Anyway, let's go back to the text. Here's what's happened next. God takes the talents from them and he gives to him who had five, five more talents. So ten talents in total. More abundant blessing for those who've used their giftings well. And the other side of that coin is the clear warning here is that if you don't use what God has given you, then you're in danger of losing what you've got. So the man with one talent had it taken from him and given to the guy who now had ten. And in a sense, that's a general principle of life. It's true in anything you do. I've recently returned to running after a period of not great health, and I have to say it's so much harder and it's so much slower than I used to be able to run at. It's true, I've heard, when it comes to playing golf. It's true when it comes to playing a musical instrument or any artistic or creative endeavour. So at the end of this passage, it's buttressed, if you like, by stating a sort of principle, which everybody in their heart knows, which is that if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't practice your talent, your talent will erode, and ultimately, it will even be taken away from you. Now spiritually, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, which is what I believe is being referred to here, it says that those who were given talents and didn't use them, they're ultimately going to be taken away. The blessing, the ultimate heartache of this is the fact that some of these are blessings that they might have enjoyed in this life had they tried to express their giftings, but instead they saw them gradually eroded in the fact that they didn't exercise them a bit like a muscle wasted away. And when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, when it comes to the return of Christ and the settling of the accounts, there will be little left for God to reward for people like that. Now the last couple of verses of this parable cause some people some difficulty because it says, and throw that unprofitable servant outside into the darkness where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
all of a sudden some people come to this verse and say, wait a minute, there's outer darkness, gnashing of teeth. This must be a reference to hell. And they say, wasn't the servant saved after all? Now, they reach that conclusion simply because it talks about outer darkness and a gnashing of teeth. But I note it doesn't use the term hell, or even Gehenna, or even the lake of fire. It uses this expression, outer darkness. So was this guy lost completely, or did he make it into heaven? That's the question I'd like to try and get an answer to before we close today. I'll tell you what I think, but I have to add the caveat that some great men and women of God take a different perspective and view in this. So for what it's worth, this is how I interpret. And I personally think this guy was saved and safe as far as heaven is concerned. Now be careful if your translation of this closing verse 30 says this man was worthless. The correct translation should be unprofitable and it is in the earliest and best translations. You see, at the end of the day, he was indeed a servant of the Lord. Granted, he wasn't doing it well or even much at all. But if you look back at the very opening verse of this parable, verse 14, when it introduces these servants, it says, The kingdom of God is like a man travelling into a far country who calls his own servants, plural. The master here himself describes him as a servant and he gives him a talent. So someone who's been bestowed a talent which, remember, was still a lot of money in its own right. So my conclusion is that there's no other way to look at this, really. This guy really is a servant of the Lord, a believer, not doing very well granted. I think there's no other way to look at this. This guy is a servant of the Lord, a believer. And I base that on the principle of what this parable represents in the fact that he's been given giftings and that God, I don't believe, delegates his authority or his giftings to spread the gospel to anyone who is not a believer, not his follower. But I see here you say, okay, but what about outer darkness stuff and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Well, that's more straightforward. As I said before, I think, in looking at the last parable, this phrase, wailing and gnashing of teeth, doesn't necessarily mean hell. It's just an, exp- an expression of deep deeply felt pain grief and anguish these people are indeed weeping my friend but why because they've lost something and understand that they've lost a great opportunity to be blessed and our guy our single talent guy knows he lost it because he buried his talent in the dirt and the word translated for us in this version that i read outside literally means he buried it in the backyard Now that's an interesting expression. It only occurs three times in the Bible and all three are in the Gospel of Matthew. It appeared in Matthew chapter 8, it appears in Matthew chapter 22 and it appears here in Matthew chapter 25. Now I've commented on it both those other two times when we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew together and again the image here of being set apart, being set outside in the dark and in this case of course there's the imagery of the banquet hall and it being set at night in the dark and just as there are people inside who are enjoying the banquet there are those who are outside in the darkness looking on if you like, listening in on the banquet people who have been invited but were who are not able to gain entry and enjoy the party And it is at this banquet that the rewards are handed out for those who faithfully utilised 
the giftings that God has given him. They're in the banquet hall and they're the faithful ones and those who are unfaithful in doing what God told them to do, i.e. in using their abilities, expressing their gifts and talents, very things that God himself gave them, they find themselves on the outside looking in. So in my estimation, this is not talking about hell. The separation and the sending to hell happens for those who are unsaved and unbelievers, and it happens at what is called the great white throne judgment. But this is not that. This is not about hell, and this is not the great white throne judgment. This rather is the judgment seat of Christ, where the judgment of Christ will be expressed on those who are faithful and those who were faithful will be rewarded and celebrated. That's what it's talking about here. This is about the missing of the banquet and being stuck on the outside, and non-surprising, there's going to be a wailing and gnashing of teeth there. Deep, deep, deep regret and unhappiness. W.F. Warren, a very respected Bible teacher and Methodist theologian of the last century, wrote this, and I think it's helpful. Some feel that this unprofitable servant was not a true believer. But the outer darkness in verse 30 need not refer to hell, even though it is often taken like that by many. And I believe it is dangerous to build a theology on parables. Remember, parables are meant to illustrate truth in a creative and vivid way. The man being dealt with by the Lord here lost his opportunity for service and he gained no praise or reward because of it. To me, that is what the outer darkness represents. And I concur with W.F. Warren's perspective. Okay, let me wrap this up for you. Had we the time, I'd also look at Corinthians chapter 3 that says the same thing. But I'm mindful that uh, I don't want to go much over 30 minutes in each of these podcasts. So we'll just close it out now and think about the context of this parable and where it sits, remembering that it's All of this is happening during his Olivet Discourse, which is teaching all about how believers should watch and be ready. And the Lord is saying in the overall scheme of things, in order to be ready for his coming back, you need to be smart, you need to be wise, you need to be faithful. You shouldn't be foolish like these other people have been described. But he also tells that that faithfulness, how he describes faithfulness being evidenced, is by using whatever abilities and talents that you've been given to serve the Lord. That's what he's teaching us here. And it tells us that if we do that, we will be rewarded. And if we don't, well, that's foolish. And spiritually speaking, you will suffer loss and you will have a deep anguish of your soul at the judgment seat of Christ because of that. But only because you're saved and know the Lord and yet know how you fell short. But with that all said... If you're sitting where you are today, my friend, and you think, I'm not very gifted, well, what I'm saying to you, this tells me that you should just do what you can with what you've got. The man in this story was not in any way at fault for having little or virtually no talent. His fault was not doing anything with what he had. If you are not one of those talented people in the world, well, let me tell you that very little gets accomplished in the kingdom of God without the unity of all those little talented people doing their bit. So if you say, well, I'm at most a one-talent person, then what this passage says is use that one talent because you know what? If you don't, you're going to lose it. 
you're going to lose the blessing of seeing it expressed in this life and what joy that will bring and also you're going to know that you didn't use it when you meet the Lord. The issue here is you need to be faithful with whatever God has given you though so that you can serve him in this life and be rewarded the judgment seat of Christ and even the most difficult and painful things in your life can be a gift from God because in them and through them you might then be able to minister to other people who are struggling and or who have struggled in the same way you have struggled. You see the main thing Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew and elsewhere when asked what was the main thing he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. So we've all been given some abilities but if you just spend your life sitting in a comfortable spiritual chair soaking up all the other stuff and all those gifts being expressed by other people and you're not using your gifts no matter what they are or how small they are or how insignificant they appear to you if you're not using them to serve other people in the world then my friend you really are going to miss out i believe this passage tells us that you should use your mind your money your times your abilities whatever ability small or large all of that should be seen from an internal perspective and recognize that all of them and any of them can be used profitably for the Lord. And if you're faithful and you do that, you're going to reap the benefits in this life. You're going to be rewarded on being faithful in that way in this life, but also in the life to come. I was once at a minister's conference a few years ago, during which time the mic was handed over so people could come forward and report on how people were doing in their churches and to ask for prayer if necessary. Well, it felt to me like speaker after speaker stood up and talked about all the amazing things that God was doing in their churches. But one guy stood up who had a small church in one of the toughest areas, what we call in the UK a council estate, a bit like a project, I would imagine, in America, in an area of Liverpool. And he said, friends, I have no remarkable success to relate to you. I just continue to labor for Christ and what seems like little or very small results. But I will continue to do it faithfully in the knowledge that one day when the master returns, when the master comes to reckon with his servants, he will still say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, I do hope you found that an encouragement today. I know I did. Can I remind you that my name is Pastor Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The podcast is hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com and on that site you can access all the other ways you can connect with this ministry. Within the episode notes, there will be links to all the different places where I put free teaching resources, and there's always a transcript of each and every podcast that I've done. There are also links there to my Patreon page. Yes, some people do support me there financially, but you can still register and access Patreon without making a financial commitment, because that's the place where I put my discipleship courses, as well as all my books are going to be going on there as free PDF or Word document downloads. And maybe if the time allows, 
I will even put audiobook versions of my previously published books there. So I just want to say thank you so much for making the decision to connect with me in this way and I do hope that your life is being transformed by the daily study of the Word of God. My aspiration is to put a new episode up five days a week Monday to Friday, thus enabling people to have the ability to make the study, not just the reading, the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. And I do hope and trust that Lord willing I will be given the time and the health to continue to do this and see it through to completion. But thank you, thank you again. And if you do want to partner with this ministry, you can do that on Buzzsprout or you can do that on the Patreon page. But whatever God is calling you to do, utilise whatever gifting he's given you for the glory of his kingdom, that he might build his kingdom in the place that you are called to minister in. Bye-bye for now.